The stories in the It's Not Just a Bad Period series are difficult to listen to, and I want to keep it that way, because they aren't just stories, but the harrowing realities of each warrior that is bravely taking part. Although endometriosis was first identified over 160 years ago, substantial gaps in adequately addressing this disease remains. From research being severely underfunded to outdated medical procedures still being used, this disease is a beast to live with, but existing in the current medical system makes it exponentially worse. I wish I could say these circumstances only exist for a few unlucky warriors, but that's not true. This is the typical experience of an endometriosis warrior, and it's time the world hears it. Well, happy best worst month of the year. It is officially Endometriosis Awareness Month. I had fully planned on having an episode out last Friday, which was the like official start of Endometriosis Awareness Month. But as chronic illness would have it, um, my energy levels are just often very unpredictable. And if I don't have things done in advance, then I just usually don't have the spoons left to do it last minute. It is definitely something I am working on. And I'm starting today's episode off a little bit differently uh, because I want to kind of do a little housekeeping, I guess we could call it, a little club update, let you all know what is going on with Best Worst Club, how we are growing, uh, what the latest resources are for you, and something that I am super, super Super excited about. If you are on Instagram and following me and a part of our community on there, which you totally should be because we have a lot of conversations there, you all help me with blog post ideas, podcast guest episode or um, not episodes, uh, suggestions. That's the word I was looking for. And yeah, so. It is just a super awesome place that we can really connect as a community. That's where I spend most of my time, like on across any other social platform. Um, it's definitely Instagram. So if you aren't following me there, make sure you do. My personal Instagram is at Indodula. And then, of course, the club Instagram is Best Worst Club. Make sure you give both of those a follow. So... To, clue, to let you know what I am so excited about, uh, we are planning our first annual Indocation Retreat. So this first one is going to be a two-night, three-day retreat um, sometime in September in sunny Orlando, Florida. I am working out all the details now. I have been asking you for opinions and input on what is important to you, especially food-wise, because let's be honest, we all know that eating with endometriosis can be extremely tricky. And so I asked you if you wanted the retreat to be completely all-inclusive so that you don't have to think, plan anything 
at all outside of the retreat, that it's all done for you, including the meals, or if you would like to be responsible for your meals, if you would feel more comfortable, have less anxiety, be able to enjoy indocation more, if your meal options were in your own hands. And so that was split pretty much right down the middle. So I have decided to make it an option. You can opt in to the all-inclusive meal plan. You can choose to add on just breakfast and dinners because those will be the two that are most the most uh, um most community oriented. So with the other retreat guests um meant to be like a bonding experience or you can choose to not add either of those on and be fully responsible for your own meals. You will have access to the retreat house um, kitchen, the refrigerator, the stove, the oven, whatever you need there. Um, It will be totally accessible to you. Um, It'll just be your responsibility. And so I just love that we're able to have these kinds of conversations and that you can give me your feedback and your honest input. And so that I can, you know, best serve you and our community because that's the whole point here, right? Like, I don't want to be putting out any kind of content, whether it's virtual or in real life, that isn't actually useful and serving us. So I really appreciate that you all are interactive and are just so much a part of this community. I feel like I sound cliche when I say this, but like it really is so true that endometriosis has taken so much away from me. But having this space and creating content and creating the best worst club and talking with you and sharing your stories and hearing your stories and be being supported by you like it literally has given me purpose again like it keeps me going on those really hard days on the on and like we all know what what I'm talking about we all know how hard those days can get like how dark some of those moments can get and having a community that gets me that gets that that I can say that sentence to and I know you understand exactly what I'm talking about like that is just so monumental and I am just so incredibly grateful. I'm so thankful that I'm able to do this. Every time I get a notification that somebody has scheduled a podcast interview, I get so excited. Like I am just, I just want you to know that. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate every like, every comment, every reshare on Instagram. I'm just so, so appreciative. And I couldn't do any of this without you all. I have been on this endo journey for several years now and I I'm just while so much of it has not gotten any easier and some of it has like some of it I have learned great coping skills with and have come to some sort of level of acceptance that has made it a lot easier or maybe not a lot easier that that has made it somewhat easier 
but nothing to the level of what best Cl- worst club is giving me. And I just, I just really wanted to take a moment to say that, that, and to let you all know how grateful I am for you to be here and to be part of the club. And while I hate that we have endometriosis in common, I am so glad that it has brought us together. If you can hear snoring in the background, that's Blue Bear. He's usually always right next to me when I record these. So if you ever catch those on the episodes, just smile to yourself. Just laugh a little and know that it's just Mr. Blue Bear. (laughs) I also wanted to say that I am working on getting better at podcasting, at editing the episodes and sound quality. I am working on getting a better mic, getting a better setup, um, and just, you know, kind of progressing Best Worst Club and being able to produce the best quality content that I can. With that being said, the episode that you are about to hear, uh, during the recording, we get cut off a few times and have to pop back in. So um, if there are a few parts through the episode that sound a little disjointed, it's probably because of that. Again, I've done my best editing it. I'm still learning. Just like with endometriosis, there's a learning curve with podcasting. Um, And just thank you so much again for supporting Best Worst Club. If you would like to support the podcast, please leave us a review. It really helps us reach a new audience and a bigger audience. Don't forget to share the podcast on your socials. Tell an Indo Warrior friend about it and make sure you hit the follow button, the subscribe button to the show. All right, let's dive on in. So I guess we'll call this part two of housekeeping because I just realized that I forgot to mention that you can sign up to get all the details and early access to booking once it's actually available, uh, on the website for Indocation Retreat. And the website is bestworstclub.com. Make sure you go ahead and add that to your bookmarks because it should be a place you are visiting regularly. The retreat information is not out yet, but there is a place on the website on the homepage. Um, If you scroll down just a little bit, you can pop your email. You can send me an email and let me know that you are interested in the early bird list. Um, And with the early bird list, you are going to get access to booking first, um, which obviously guarantees, or I shouldn't say guarantee, which gives you better chances of getting a room, getting the room that you want. Um, And then it's also going to give you access to a special surprise that only early birds will have access to. And again, you can find all of this on our website, bestworstclub.com. And I am so excited to see you at Indocation 2023. (laughs) 
The stories you are about to hear are the personal experiences of each individual, and the views expressed by the guests are their own. Please listen with discretion, as this series contains mature content that could possibly be triggering to some individuals. Mention of depression, suicidal ideation, medical trauma, sexual assault, disordered eating, and other sensitive topics may come up. And as always, this podcast is not intended to be taken as medical advice. Please refer to your doctor or therapist. Hi, Aubrey. How are you? Hey, Mariah. How are you? Good. I'm so excited you're here. Me too. So nice to officially meet you over the phone. Yeah. recording. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for having me and for, for doing this. This is amazing. Thank you. So yeah, so welcome to Best Worst Club podcast. Um, do you want to go ahead and tell our audience a little bit about you and maybe why yeah. you decided that you wanted to share your story on the podcast? Sure. Uh, my name is Aubrey Herr. I live in Chicago, Illinois. Um, I've been on my endometriosis journey since age 16, give or take. Um, and I just wanted to share my story in hopes that it would, you know, help others. Um, you know, when I, when I was first starting out, it didn't seem to get a lot of um, discussion. It was hard to find information. And really, you know, turning to the internet and uh, online friends is what helped me out the most. So I love this community of endo warriors. They are great. I wish again, you know, it's the best worst club because it's a club we don't want to be in, but if we have to be in it, at least we're in it together. Exactly. Exactly. It's so true. And like, it's, I say it, I think every single podcast, it's one of mm -hmm. the most beautiful things about our community is our willingness to show up for each other. Exactly. No, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. All right, so I always kind of ask for you to start at the beginning, but usually with sure. the beginning might be a little tricky, so kind of start wherever you would like to, and we'll just kind of talk about your endo journey, and I might interrupt you for like a couple times for, you know, just to ask some questions here and there. Yeah, definitely feel, feel free to interrupt. Um, I feel like I've, I've given this, I shouldn't say spiel, but um, I've talked about it a lot, and like I, I work in, in human resources for a health care company. Um, so I'm pretty open about sharing my story and my struggle with everyone. Um, thankfully, my company has been very kind um, to give me a flexible schedule and, and the time off that I need when I'm having flare ups. So I think that's um, kind of where my biggest like uh, contribution comes to advocacy. I, I want to try to help people in, in the workspace because I know what it's like to, to lose a job to this. Um, but going back to the beginning, um, it again, started around age 16. I never had, you know, bad periods, at least that I noticed. I didn't, I didn't have that issue, but I would be sitting in class and I would get like hot flashes and I'd feel like something, I always was telling my mom, like it felt like something was poking me from my left side, from the inside out. And I just, it just felt terrible. Um, so she, we were lucky enough to find a reproductive endocrinologist not far from our house who thankfully was willing to see me. Um, and when they did an internal ultrasound, they found out that I had a ovarian tumor the size of a softball. So that was concerning when you're 16, wondering, okay, is it cancerous? Is it non-cancerous? 
Um, thankfully it was benign. So non-cancerous. Um, so I had my first surgery, I think at 18. So basically got put on birth control at first to try to see if they could shrink it, realize that, you know, that didn't work. Um, and when you're 16, you don't really, you know, know a ton uh, about these things. You think the doctors know everything. So you just say yes. Um, so that did not help. Um, but had the surgery and when I was 18, so it was 2005. That was my first one. Uh, the tumor did grow back. So I ended up having to have a second surgery in 2009. Um, and it was looking back on all of this that I was told by this doctor, he was a great surgeon, but he told me that I had adhesions and that he removed the adhesions, but never explained further what that meant. So I never linked that word to endometriosis. So I had those surgeries. I thought I was good to go. I went all through college feeling fine. Um, and then when I got out into the workforce, uh, the pain kept coming up. I would notice it when I would do like rigorous exercises, um, you know, or maybe if I like ran um, one of those like fun runs with friends, they'd finish the run, they'd be fine. I'd be like doubled over in pain, wondering what the heck's going on. So ended up going back to that doctor, wondering if it was endometriosis, never got an official diagnosis from him. Um, then that started seeing kind of a slew of doctors from there. And it wasn't until I, we drove out to Mayo Clinic in um, Minnesota because we had friends who lived there and they were like, just come out, go through the emergency room. They could probably get you a proper diagnosis. Um, so I did that and it wasn't the doctor actually. They were very, the doctor was very dismissive. It was the nurse who said, I think you have endometriosis. Here are, the, you know, here are doctors in your area that you can go to. Um, so then I got my official endometriosis diagnosis in 2016. So all the way from 2005 to 2016, it was undiagnosed, which just seems crazy to me looking back on it now. Um, and I think it also just made me really angry because I could have had, you know, a surgery. I'd already had surgery. And I, if I had known about this, I, there were so many things I would have done differently. Um, but I was able to find just a local gynecologist. He's still my gynecologist today. He's not an endo expert, but he, he did know, you know, like, hey, I can do a laparoscopy to give you an official diagnosis. Um, and then once you have that, we can find you a specialist for the surgery. So I got that official diagnosis 2016. He did, you know, the, um, the laparoscopic surgery, uh, the ablation, you know, version. And then in 2019 is when I found the most amazing surgeon in Chicago. His name's Dr. Abraham Sashua. I shout him out to everybody that, that I know if you're in the region, he's the best to go to. Uh, and he did my first excision surgery and knock on wood, I've been doing pretty well since then. Um, so it's been a lot of ups and downs. Um, prior to the surgery in 2016, I probably lost like 25 pounds. I looked terrible. I was miserable all the time because um, I had endometriosis on my bowel and really wasn't absorbing food, but I didn't know that. So there was just constant nights of like tears and research, <laughs> I like to call it, where you just be up late, not being able to sleep from the pain um and finding different people in the community to talk to of what their experience was um explore you know and i think it wasn't as big probably then on instagram as it is now but it was more like chat rooms um and different forums that you could join so that's where i got a lot of a lot of help from and then just researching um a lot of my own doctors so that kind of brings me to where i am today where i'm in kind of management mode thinking you know what what comes next um you know do i will i need another surgery in the future possible I don't I don't quite know um so that's kind of what I'm calling this like the year of <laughs> of five figuring out my health and making you know figuring out how it goes 
Um, Cause up until now I've basically had a surgery um, every four years since 2005. So yeah, that's, that's my journey so far. Um. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I have a few questions right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So have you had, you've had the one excision surgery. Have you had more than that already? No. So I've had, I had the two surgeries for, I should say two surgeries for the um, adhesions or for the, the cysts that, you know, the, the tumors, the cysts, whichever you want to refer them to. Um, and then I had a third one. Um, I forget what the third one was for. It might've been related to that again. And then I had my ablation and then I had my excision. So that was 2019. We're at 2023, you know, I, I wonder like, oh, you know, basically it's kind of been an every four year type situation. So I am curious to know if I'll need another one. Um, but so far everything seems to be okay. I don't have too much pain since that one. Um, so it's kind of a wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. I'm about three years post-excision and I'm getting to yeah. where I'm like, oh, there's a lot of symptoms coming back. Yeah. Um, but okay, so I also have a couple other questions. Mm-hmm. One, you seem like a powerhouse. Like you just just like powered through all of that. You were like, this is what it is. This is what I did. This is how it is. And like got through it. And obviously I know from being an Indo warrior that we get really good at doing those things. We get really good at like, oh yeah, I can riddle it off and I can tell you what it is because we have to learn to advocate for ourselves and we have to be able to grab people. Yeah in a short amount of time and get them to understand what's going on right Mm -hmm. I would love to know one like how did you get that skill do you do you feel like part of that is from like your job and you just have always known how to do that or is it was it something that you learned along the way and then like I guess part two of that question would be also would you be willing to talk a little bit more about how all of this like actually affected your life, your quality of life, like the trajectory of where you are now. Yeah. Cause you touched on that a little bit, like, you know, how much different it would make had one of those first surgeries actually been an excision. Definitely. I think, um, I definitely, it's not a skill that I've always had. Again, when I was six, you know, when you're, I was 16, I hadn't really had, I didn't like had a, maybe a broken wrist, nothing nothing crazy health-wise. Um, but I know that sitting in class, I felt crazy because everybody else seemed fine. And I know that that's how people seemed. I'm sure there were other people going through struggles too, but you know, hormones are changing. You're sitting in class and you're wondering like, I'm 16, why am I getting hot flashes? Like, I, I don't know. And that was, you know, for high school for me was the era of flip phones and, you know, no internet access on your phone. So there was a lot of, um, All right, and we are back. (laughs) So sorry. No, no big deal at all. Technical issues happen all the time. Um, And I'm still in like, I have so much to learn about podcasting. So we are here and we are rolling with it and we are crushing it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm visiting my sister and it's uh, trees or where she lives, but like we'll be just in the house and things will just drop and you're like, but you you don't know why, so... Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, honestly, that it's nuts that we have internet issues in America. Like, what the heck? <laughs> I know. It's crazy. It is. Um, okay. So picking up where we left off, um, we're asking if I always, you know, 
been a kind of a go-getter at this and then how it's impacted quality of life. So uh, definitely have not, like I was saying back, you know, being 16 and being in, in high school uh, and again, in the era of flip phones, not as easy access to the internet. Um, and not as, again, it was a lot more about like chat rooms and forums that you'd get the information from around that time, um, like 2005-ish. And I think, you know, in the beginning, you just listen to the, what the doctors are telling you. And the doctor I had seen was somebody who had actually helped my mom after she had my brother. Um, she's always had hormone issues and he was really helpful for her, which was great. So I just, you know, kind of off the bat trusted him. Uh, and then I think as I've, as I've gone along, I've learned through a lot of trial and error of how to advocate for myself. Um, and I think that that kind of, you know, the beginnings of things with the first surgery is just, again, listen to the doctors, followed what they said. And then I was thankfully seemed to be throughout all, all of college. I was fine. Um, knock on, you know, knock on wood. Um, and then it was when I got into the workforce, um, I had my first job at a nonprofit in like 2012. I was okay then for the most part. Um, but then it was probably 2014, 2015, when I started working at a hospital, again, always been in, in HR. Um, that's always been my job. So, you know, I, I deal with people going on leave, um, sick time, PTO, you know, all of those things and seeing what that looks like for people. And then for me, um, the hospital was amazingly generous. And while I was there, was, you know, I, I, had, I had personally never felt healthier. I went to the gym all the time. I was eating well. I, I thought I was, you know, I was like, I'm on my way. Like I had a great job. And then I just started losing weight, couldn't figure out why, um, would have like panic attacks out of nowhere. And now looking back, I don't actually think they were panic attacks. I think it was hormones just acting crazy um, because I'd go to the emergency room and they'd, you know, they'd tell me like, this is in your head. And I, I even got put in the psych room one time and in no offense to, to the mental health community, I, I you know, should you, you need to be in that room, I understand, but it was, you know, a lot of medical gaslighting of this is just in your head, you're totally fine, your labs are fine, um, and just not knowing, like, what the heck to do, so about three ER trips in, I finally realized, like, what's the point of going to the emergency room, which is sad, um, and kind of seeing the, the brokenness of the healthcare system, and then, you know, my parents are lovely, and they're wonderful, and they've always been very supportive, but they don't, you know, they don't always understand like how you're feeling, what's going on inside. So I think that's kind of where I learned to advocate for myself, both like with them and then for them. Cause also notice, you know, like when you're some, you're a sick kid, you know, your parents get, they get scared too. So it's trying to be able to like learn to speak for yourself um, at that time. And I finally just like broke down one day. I can still picture it and my, my my bedroom floor and I was like I'm quitting my job or I'm I'm asking for leave if they don't give it to me I'm quitting I'll I'll empty my 401k and I I have to figure this out and I was like and I don't I don't care what else I'm doing in life but I have to know what's going on with me cuz I was missing all kinds of work um and I was was afraid that I was going to get fired uh and thankfully the hospital did give me 6 months leave um which was very generous of them. Um, they had a really good policy around sick time and then leave policy as well. Um, so I was able to do that. And then I was um, able to keep my insurance for that time. But then eventually after those six months were up, like I was pretty much, you know, could still couldn't work. So I joined um, Medicaid. And that's where I did find my first gynecologist who was able to do my laparoscopic surgery. Um, because a lot of people didn't, you know, don't take Medicaid. Uh, so you learn pretty 
pretty fast that you don't have as access is to, you know, to the as good of surgeons or just to as many people as possible. A lot of people don't want to take it because it doesn't pay as well. Um, and I think, yeah, throughout that whole year, like or a couple of years, 20, 2014 to 2016, was a lot of doctor's appointments, um, everyone under the sun, like gastroenterologists, uh, rheumatologists, you name it. I had every test run that I could think of, um, not realizing again that this was endometriosis, um, just because my symptoms weren't necessarily the classic ones of endo. I think now, like with the literature we see now and the research we see now, it would, the symptoms would fall into the category. But at the time, it was, you know, what they always say, oh, it's just, it's a woman's disease and it bad periods and that's it. And that's, you know, and then you have pain where for me, it was a lot more mental. Um, and then also like I had a lot of stomach issues and just like not, again, not absorbing my food. Um, and I think the other thing I notice is when women lose weight, everybody wants to tell you, you look great. And in, 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 on the inside, you're like, but I'm dying. Like, how does nobody see this? So that was the other thing of kind of sticking up for myself with, with even close friends and being like, like, hey, no, I'm, I actually don't feel well. Um, and this is why. And then trying to make, help them understand that like this, when I did find out it was endometriosis, like, you know, they always give you, oh, my brother's sister's cousin has that and she's fine. And you're like, well, I'm not fine. Um, so it's, I think it kind of came from a lot of those interactions and kind of developed organically over time. Um, and I, and then I've learned since like how to help people, you know, be an advocate for themselves. So I am always open. And I, I know I see you do this too, where I'll talk to anybody who wants to talk to me about it. I'll probably, I probably talk about it too much. Um, but at work, I, you know, people, anybody who asks me if I, if I'm posted, I'm out sick. Um, and they ask me when I come back, Oh, did you have a cold? And I'm like, Nope, I have endometriosis. This is what happens when you have that. And this is the chronic disease. So I just, I try to spread awareness as much as I can uh, and then advocate for anybody else I know who's in a similar boat. It doesn't have to be the same, you know, chronic illness, but I know for those of us with them, we struggle on a daily basis just to have the energy to, to do things. You know, that's where our spoon theory comes from. I love that, um, having enough spoons to kind of get through your day. So I try to be, to be kind and to educate people that way. Um, Cause I think in the beginning, it's more, you get very angry when people don't know. And then you have to remind yourself like, it's okay that they don't know like let's educate them. Um, so you can kind of bring them along on this journey with you. And then I think a lot of my friends didn't quite get it at the time. So there are a few people that I just, again, we're friends to, to this day, but maybe we just didn't hang out as much because they didn't quite understand like why I wasn't coming to things. Um, Cause to them it might look like, well, you're fine. You know, you were fine yesterday. Why aren't you fine today? And having to explain like what a flare up means and what this pain is like. Um, and since some of them actually have had children, now they, they seem to understand and sympathize with, oh, wow, like I went through that, you know, for how, you know, nine month period and then sometime after, but now it's over and you're, you have to deal with that all the time. Um, so I think it's given a lot of them some additional perspective and, and empathy as well. Um, and that's kind of always been my like guiding principle is to bring empathy to this wherever I can, because um, I think that that oftentimes that's lacking, you know, when we're seeing doctors that can be lacking in people that don't know, you know, what this is like. Um, and then the other thing, like with what you're doing, just getting the word out there so that younger, younger people can just know what, what are their options and what tests can they have run? Um, so that they can figure this out a lot earlier. Um, Cause I think, you know, the earlier you can find out and get the treatment you need, the better. Um, so sorry, I'm rambling, but that's, that's kind of where, where I'm at with it. Um, and then again, just being like a part of being able to be a part of this podcast or anything else where I can spread that awareness. I'm, I'm always open to that.
Yeah, that's incredible. You're not rambling at all. You had some really, really good points. And I just, um, I don't, I personally don't feel like I have like such a good grip on everything as the way that you just spoke it and just some of your perspectives on things. I was like, wow, that's really good. Especially like, like, the yeah, of course. And thank you for sharing that. Cause I, I love, this is one of the things that I love about this podcast is I always gain something from whoever mm-hmm. comes right because we all deal with this differently we all look at it differently and uh there was a couple things that you said one like the empathy part I loved that because I would definitely say that like I'm an empathetic person that's something that something that comes natural to me but Mm -hmm. doctor's office and I lose all empathy for (laughs) you know what I mean yes I do that's a good point like to bring that back to remind myself and to then like make the switch of like okay, they don't know. And this is my opportunity to educate. Exactly. And I think one of the biggest things I learned, and it was, um, I don't know if you watch Dr. Mike on YouTube at all, but he made a comment in one of his podcasts that if a doctor can't tell you they don't know, then that's a big red flag. Like it's a, they should be able to say, hey, I'm not quite sure what's going on with you, but I want to help you figure it out. And if they're not willing to do that, then they probably aren't the doctor for you. Um, so that's something that I think also helping people advocate for, like I went into an endocrinology office and this man was so rude to me. I stopped him about two minutes in and I said, absolutely not. I was like, I will not, I will not pay you for this appointment. I will not sit here. I will not do, I will not be gaslit. I'm leaving. And I just left. I've never done that before, but like some, sometimes they just boil your blood to the point where you're like, I have to, I'm, I'm gone now. Um, cause I will not, I don't want to sit there and be not believed. And I think, unfortunately, so many people it's hard to do that. I'm not saying that was an easy thing to do by any means uh, to, to practice. Um, and probably just like, I call it the rage bubble that happens sometimes. Um, and there's other doctors that like, you know, they were perfectly nice, but I just realized, you know, at the end of the appointment, like you're just not going to be the person for me because you're not really going to help me figure out what I want. Um, or they just pinpoint exactly what they think. Well, this is exactly what's wrong with you. And you've run, they've run no tests yet. So I like to find, I've tried to find kind of a team of people who are willing to listen to what I have to say. Um, and then, you know, when I advocate for myself, they are open to that. So that's been another big part of the journey of, of going through just you know, medical gaslighting and trying to medical trauma too, um, and trying to move past it to find, to find the right team, which again, is hard because there's, you know, you can find somebody with amazing reviews and you meet them and they're just not the right one for you. Um, so I think that's funny when you said empathy, I wasn't thinking about it towards the doctors. But I, I, I do tr- try to bring that into the, like, I do try to bring that with me. But yeah, there's the point where you just like kind of lose it with people if they aren't, you know, taking you seriously. Yes, for sure. And I'm glad you brought that point up too, because uh, I, I'm like a pretty passive introvert type of person. So mm-hmm. like, that's something that like, I probably... It's one of those things that I'm like, oh, I don't realize that that's even an option until someone says like, hey, no, you can do this, you know, like, so that's what I always tell people too, is to remember that the doctor works for you. Like, and it's just like any other service. If you're not happy with it, if you aren't, you know, happy with the results or the service that you're being provided, you don't have to continue to see them. Exactly. And I think the other thing is I, I brought my best friend with me and I can't remember why my, my mom couldn't go. But my best friend is like the most extroverted extrovert <laughs> of all time. Shout out to Megan. Um, and I was like, I need someone to come with me to this appointment. And she's like, yeah, sure. 
Uh, so she came with me and she, like, I've never seen anybody be like, okay, so what are we doing? Like just very matter of fact, lots of questions, like they're to, there to advocate for me. And ever since then, like I, I brought my mother with me to so many appointments up until I mean, probably recently, I'll still bring her sometimes um, just to have another set of ears. And like, if anybody judges me, cause they're like, well, you're 36, what do you need your mom for? Well, I've been through this so many times. There's no shame in bringing a family member with you. Um, cause sometimes they also have like better questions than I could think of, or in the moment you get kind of nervous. Um, and so then they can be there to help advocate for you. So if you do have a person you can bring with you, I think that also is really helpful. Um, just so they can understand it. Um, and then my, my sister had a blood disorder when she was younger that has since gone away called ITP. So that was kind of our first introduction into like this world of chronic illnesses. Um, that happened to her about age 10 or 11. And then my mother has POTS and my brother had a thyroid condition and we all basically found out that we are allergic to wheat. So it's been, it's been a whole health journey for the whole family. We just always joke that we got the bad genes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that, again, that's also given us a lot of empathy for other people um, when they're going through these things and we just want to be able to help. And same, same thing with like just us and our, our little like, you know, family unit um, wanting to be able to help each other. And then just being able to, to like kind of do your own research and have other people help you. Like if, you know, my brother's having a bad day about something and needs help. I'm like, I can do that research or look that up for you and vice versa. Um, so surrounding yourself with whoever it is doesn't have to be family, it can be friends, um, but with a good support team. Absolutely. I love those tips. I usually bring someone with me too, like either my mom or my husband. And then if I can't, a lot of times I'll ask to like record the, um, the doctor's off, like the visit, like when the doctor's yeah, off. Yeah. Cause like I get so emotional about everything that I, I don't know. It just gets me in like a whole nother mindset and I'm not there the way that I would be if I had time to like step back and process it before I have to answer these questions type of thing. Yes. And it's also because like you, you, unless you already know the doctor, you don't know how they're going to react. You don't, you just, you always go in with the, with the unknown and it's like, I kind of equate it to like going on a date and oh <laughs> wondering, will it, will it be good? Will it be bad? I don't know. Yeah. That's so. funny, but that is so true. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I love too, that you talked about how, um, like with your brother that you guys can like trade off on research. That's really cool. I never see. This is the other thing too. I am terrible about asking for help. And like, I wouldn't have even thought to ask, about that and I love that like that is so such a good and like genuinely helpful tangible thing that someone could like take off your plate like yeah yeah that's really cool I love that I am hey. also very bad at asking for help myself I'm I'm like I think what is it like they talk about your love languages or like the ways that you show affection to family like so I'm an active service kind of person can you oh. still hear me yes yes I can my, I, I apologize. My AirPods are dying. So I wanted to make sure if I can join without them. Yes, I can still switch over to the phone. Is that working? Yeah, still there. Okay, we'll see, we'll see how long these last. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. um, so... Yeah. So like, I'm good at doing that for other people. Not so great at asking for myself, but I think that like the people that know you oftentimes will know that. So then they can kind of step up and, and help you in the ways that you need. So that's also what I'm trying to think through is like, what, 
what can I, how can I help that's helpful in the way that somebody else needs it? And then like thinking through how do you need help and learning how to ask for it. Um, it's a, oh, there's a, just a random movie with Reese Witherspoon that I feel like it got terrible reviews, but I really liked it. And there's a line where she like, doesn't want to go to therapy. And she just like runs to the therapist and it's like, I don't want to do this, but if you could just give me like one piece of advice, what, what's like, what's your best piece of advice? And he said, figure out what you want and learn how to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And that always like stuck with me through all of this is like, okay, what's my, what's my end goal? What do I want? And then like making lists, you know, of questions for doctors or lists for research and trying to figure out those types of things. Um, and just running any tests that I could possibly think of again, you know, easy said and done when you, if you have insurance and can, can do that and can afford it. Um, I've been in both places where I did have it and didn't have it. So, um, it's kind of been an off and on thing. And then, you know, also reminding people like there's absolutely no shame in being on Medicare or Medicaid. I know people look down on that. And I think that that's ridiculous because our medical system is, you know, there's, there's many good things, but also so many flaws um, and bad things. So I think anywhere that you can try and get the help that you need, there's no, you know, nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. I so agree with that. Um, especially because like in our case, you know, a lot of times like our work gets so heavily affected of like what we're actually able to do. So yeah, that can be a great resource. Um, also I just wrote down the figure out what you want and learn to ask for it because that's amazing. Like that's so applicable in so many different aspects of life. Like not just in the doctor's office and with endo, but like even outside of that, that is a really good one. Yeah, I really like that one. It stuck out to me. Um, so it's one that I've, I've always remembered. Um, and it's, again, it, it was, he was saying, you know, it's easy, it's, it's, it's an easy thing to say. It's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So that one definitely resonated with me. Um, and then I think, I'm trying to think um, for some of the other ways, just like job wise for where I am. So I work for a company now called Carom Health. And what we do is we're in the, what we call bundled payment space, which is very similar to what Medicare and Medicaid do. Um, so our goal right now, we partner with different, um, different clients. So they offer us as a benefit to their employees. And we offer surgeries and procedures in a lot of different categories from um, muscular skeletal to cardiac, um, oncology, bariatric, and you know, we're hoping to expand to more down the line. So the goal is that we partner you with a vetted surgeon for what you need, whatever procedure it is that you need. And then the company pays that surgeon directly. And the cost is so much lower, like surgeries that cost 25 grand, maybe only $4,000 under us, but that money is going directly to that surgeon. So they know that they're getting paid, you know, you're getting somebody that has decent quality and also very good outcomes. Uh, and then that goal is a, it saves you money, but B it gets you back to health and then you can get back to your life. Um, and that way you don't have to lose your job over, you know, a bad back or a bad knee or the fact that you have cancer. Um, so it's, I really love working in this field. So I'm like very passionate about that. I hope, you know, women's health and other procedures like, um, endosurgeries, I'm hoping that'll come down the pipeline for us, uh, in the future and that we can, we can kind of dive into the reproductive space too. Um, and then just advocating for employees is my other big thing. So I'm big on being able to advocate for, for types of leave, for, um, you know, sick time, PTO, um, especially when we went through, you know, when we're still going through, I should say like the COVID you know, era, um, and people just, you'd find out, oh, they don't, you got COVID and you only get five days off. Like, well, what if you're sick for three weeks? You know, what are you supposed to do? How do you pay your bills? 
Um, so try to educate employees on that as much as possible and then work for and find companies that offer robust benefits and try to encourage other people, you know, to do the same for best practices. And then I think, again, I may be, <laughs> may be too open about it, but being open about my illness for others so that they can see like, hey, you can do this. Um, you just have to find the right support system. And I'd say a big, a big shout out to my boss for, uh, you know, making sure that I have what I need and understanding when I'm having those flare ups that I can have the time off or just the flexibility to, you know, maybe take a break during the day um, and get things done. Because that kind of dates back to high school. My, I had one class where um, the teacher was teasing me about how he wanted to give me an F, but he couldn't because, because I was gone. I was absent all the time, but I got all my work done. So he was like, you, you, know, you were never here, but you earned your A. I was <laughs> like, yeah, because I, I do good work. I just can't come into class. Um, so like, you know, thinking back to that, like, again, he was a nice teacher. I really liked him. Um, but just not everybody, you know, everybody's educated about that. So they may think, well, you're missing class and you just don't care or you don't do good work. And that might not be the case. You just may need more of an adaptive, you know, environment or schedule for what you're doing. So I think wherever we can be, you know, advocates for that um, is great. I know like turning 36 this year, like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm 18 times two. That like hit me really hard thinking I'm like 18 years out of, out of high school and kind of the start of this, of this journey. So a lot of time to, to learn and to grow and kind of gain all of this, uh, what may come off as, um, what's the word like positive, you know, outgoing <laughs> knowledge. Yeah. Wow. That is absolutely incredible. Like such, that's such an incredible company. And I also want to highlight, like, this is why we need one, we need like the adaptive workspaces and two, why we need access to excision, excision surgery and to like a yeah. whole approach to deal with endometriosis because it keeps people like you doing jobs like this that are so incredible and so impactful and so needed in our country. And like, I, you know, I look all day at statistics and stuff and how many of us aren't in the workforce because of endometriosis and because of other chronic illnesses. And it's heartbreaking that, that we can be like dismissed or pushed off. Like you said, that we aren't able to do good work because we, you know, we can't sit in an office for eight hours a day. And it's like, mm -hmm. That's not the case. Like I, you know, we all still have so much worth and so much to contribute to society and to workplaces. We just need the, even like the question of like, well, what do you need to be able to do this job? And so I just yeah. think like, thank you for what you do. And I just, I just want to highlight like how important it is to have people that have dynamic disabilities and chronic illnesses in the workforce. Yes, definitely. And I think um, we just started doing like employee resource groups at our company and we don't have one for kind of like this category yet, but we do have one for um, mental well-being um, when we're calling, referring to it as like the thriving group. Um, so we'll, we'll probably talk about these things in there and maybe this will, will you know, expand into further resource groups, but kind of just giving people a space to talk about these things because, um, you know, it may not be that we're, we can change anything, but it's being able to talk about what people need um, and in, in working in HR, I've, you know, we've had lots of what I'd call reasonable accommodations. So having to train managers and other people on like, what does that look like? Like, we just don't fire somebody because, okay, like their eyesight's not very good. Like we get them glasses. That's a very like basic one. Um, but for, you know, 
getting ergonomic keyboards for people who may have tendonitis. That's again, a smaller one, but there were a lot of different people that can come to you and say like, Hey, this is, but they're, I can always tell like they're very afraid based on past experiences of sharing that information with HR and being let go, which, you know, is illegal, but you can't just fire somebody after they disclose this to you, but companies do it all the time. So I've tried to make HR this safe space for this information and for me to be able to help accommodate what we need to help you being a thriving employee. Um, Cause I think again, you know, people say, well, HR's job is to limit liability. And that is a very valid point. But I think for me, I've always told people, and I tell this in interviews, leaders that I speak to, I see that two ways. I want to limit liability for the company from getting sued, but I also want to limit the liabilities so the employees are happy and that they can thrive at this company. So if you don't have the mindset of putting your employees first at your company, then I won't work for you. Um, Cause I just don't, I don't, I don't see how that works then. If your employee is just another number, then that's not going to be, that's not going to be the HR job for me. Um, I like to, you know, kind of serve as a liaison between the employees um, and the leadership team. Um, and thankfully, you know, where I am, we have a great leadership team that listens to, to the, that feedback, um, which is, you know, unfortunately not always the case in many places. So I think we're, we're all very much in this, everybody who comes to this company um, or other companies that I worked for in this space usually have a passion for wanting to change the healthcare system, which is really hard to do because um, they don't, they don't want to change. Um, our joke at our current company is the insurance companies don't love us and we're okay with that um, <laughs> because we're trying to put, you know, put a better model together to help people. And right now it's, you know, it's direct to companies, but I'm hoping in the future we could be direct to to consumers uh, and be out there to, to help, you know, a lot more people, which would be really great. So I think that's where, um, you know, trying to find a workspace that fits you um, in that way and not being afraid to, if you're in an interview, to ask those kinds of questions. Um, you know, what can I have? Are there flexible hours? Um, you know, and, and trying, to, trying to gauge like what their reaction may be to, to the chronic illness area. Um, so you can get that information beforehand because you always want to make sure is it a right fit for you as much as is are they are they thinking are you a right fit for them um, so that's the other thing I remind people like when you're going to the doctor like you mentioned and you're saying like hey the doctor works for you it's the same thing in an interview which I don't think people always realize like you're interviewing the company as much as they're interviewing you um, so it's another thing I've worked to train people on when they're in interviews um, with candidates that's such a good point. I have absolutely never gone into an interview thinking that. <laughs> right. And most people don't. And that was the same way, you know, just a few years back. Um, because, and it may be because like, it's a job you really want, you know, so you really want to be impressed them. That's fantastic. Like definitely do that. Um, but don't forget to like have your list of questions to find out, you know, again, like I say, it's like going on a date to find out like, are they going to fit what you're looking for and meet those needs um, and kind of being open to having that back and forth. Um, and, see, you know, seeing again, like you said, like how, how do they adapt to and handle other, you know, people? Um, and like, I know HR, like we can't really disclose, you know, specific information, but in interviews, if somebody did ask, you know, how do we, you know, do we, if we have employees with chronic illnesses, how do we handle that? Being able to just kind of provide an overview of what that looks like. Wow. That is such a good piece of advice. Like, um, I, yeah, I just really love like, like that because like I said, I never have, would have thought of going into that. And like you said, mm -hmm. especially with a chronic illness, knowing that you have, you know, you have flare ups, you have, you have needs that have to be accommodated for you to thrive and be your best employee. And I think, like you said, a lot of times we're so nervous about disclosing that 
and being judged for that, not being hired because of that or promoted. And so like you end up hiding them and like trying to, you know, keep them under wraps kind of thing. And in reality, it could be like doing even a bigger disservice to yourself and to your job because now you're not getting, which, which I know all of this is also a great area because there is like so many businesses don't meet the employees where they need to be met. No, that's very true. Right. So like the fear part is very like valid, right? Yeah. Because like people, like it's illegal to fire these people or not hire them because of this, but we all know that it happens. Oh yeah. And people may find another way around it. You know, they may may be, Oh, we picked, you know, can't we, somebody else was better for the role and you'll never know why. And um, I've definitely had that happen to me. So, you know, but I, I try to think of it in a way of like, it's, you know, it's their loss and it wouldn't have been the right environment for me, which again, easy, easy said than done, depending on if you really need the job or not. Um, and if it's, you know, if it's a job that like, Hey, I really need it. So I'm taking it, um, because I need the money now that's totally fine. And then trying to, you know, as you're going through it, if you can kind of figure out the answers to those questions, and if it's not the right fit, then, you know, it's okay to, to hop, uh, as much as it would be nice for us to, stay somewhere for 30 years, you know, like many of our parents have, um, which I would love to do. Um, that's not always the case. So I think, you know, again, trying to find the right fit for you. And sometimes it may, it may be down to like, Hey, I don't love everything about the company, but I love my team or I love my people or my manager's fantastic. I think those things can also make a big difference too. Cause if, you know, if you, and if you can work and you want to be out there working, I think that's, that's important. You're spending so much time of your, of your life in that uh, scenario with those people you want to, you know, be me doing something that, you know, can, you can tolerate. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing is learning like work-life balance to making sure that you're putting in the time for yourself. Like if your work is your passion and you're living that dream, that's fantastic. Um, otherwise I think that work can just be, it can just be work and that's fine too. Uh, and just knowing like, Hey, I, I really, I have my outside passions. And again, looking at kind of like, you know, your spoon theory, if I only have so many spoons, these are how many I can give to the job. And this is how many I need to be able to do the other things that I want to do. Whether, you know, some days that's just for some of us, just getting through the day, uh, being able to shower um, and things like that. So I think it's just a, yeah, the learning process of getting to know yourself. And I think I've, can, I've been able to become this kind of like strong proponent of this because my environment is the right environment. Um, and people who have, you know, in the position I am in, I can affect that change. Doesn't mean everything, you know, all, all the things I suggest get taken into account or listened to. Um, but at least being able to have a voice is nice. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I, I, as you're talking about all of this, I'm thinking in my head, like, I feel like what, just to kind of like boil it down to a simple, like, I don't know, a simple way of putting it is I feel like you've reached this really good, I don't know, that's just, that doesn't seem very descriptive, but (laughs) place of like acceptance with your disease that you're like, okay, like this is a part of my life and these are the things I need and I'm not going to apologize for them and I'm going to find a way to accommodate them. And I think Mm -hmm. that's so powerful and so beautiful. And, And for me, like, because I feel like I spent so many years trying to live as if I didn't have endometriosis and thinking yeah. that I would get back to this person that I used to be. And so I think like all the things that you're talking about are just so crucial and they're so important because 
there is a sense of freedom and there is a sense of like of life that's that you're able to live when you accept endometriosis and I feel like that that sounds so counterintuitive but like everything that you're saying to me is like to me the way I hear it is like I am putting my needs first I know what my needs are and I, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna apologize for them and that it doesn't yeah it doesn't make me bad or less. It's just, this is who I am and this is what I need. And I can still do amazing things and, and have amazing experiences when my needs are met. Yeah. And I think that when, again, it's a journey to get there, you know, it takes time to be able to figure out what those needs are. And like we've talked about, you know, advocating for yourself over time and you just, you eventually learn what that looks like. And I know like some people can think that that's selfish, but I think if you, again, do it with empathy, you're able to then provide others with what they need because you, you're helping yourself first. It's like putting the cliche, you know, discussion of putting on your oxygen mask before you put somebody else's on, you know, help, you got to be able to help you so that you can help them if, you know, if that's what you want to do. Um, And it, it takes time to get to that point. But yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely where I'm at. And I will never, you know, if my struggle can help somebody else not have to struggle, I am, I'm all for it. I really, I really can't stand when other people are like, well, I had to do it this way. So you should have to suffer too. Like why? Yeah. You know, I just don't get that mentality. Yeah. I don't either. I'm, I'm definitely with you on the side mm-hmm. of like, if you can take anything, like I will show, I will give it all <laughs> if you can learn something from my, yeah, struggles for yeah. sure. And I think yeah. that it's a really good point to emphasize that this is such a journey and there is just like this certain timeline of going through it and processing it and like being in the muck of it where like I feel like all of us with endometriosis we all go through these different stages of like what the fuck is this what is happening to me what is happening to my life then you like start to learn what endometriosis is and then you're like well what the fuck is this and what is this yeah that I'm in (laughs) like it takes time to get to that place of like okay well now what can my life look like with this in it because it's not going on anywhere unfortunately no totally agree and I think and I don't remember somebody else told me this or if I just kind of thought it to myself but I was thinking like I always and I've said I've said it to a lot of other people I was like there was the before you and there's the after you and you have to kind of relearn who that person is and it doesn't mean all of the before you from when like you you know what you thought your life was is gone it's just learning how to adapt and, and change to what what it is now and then what you want it to be um, and you know I'm grateful for the before me I'm you know try I try to be grateful for the me now it's a easier you know said than done. Um, but I think if you can bring that positive mindset to it, which again, not always easy to do um, when you're in the thick of it, um, but trying to bring that can be helpful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's so good. It's so good. Thank you for that perspective. I really, really appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm. My, they always tease me uh, at work and at home. They say I'm the Leslie Nope of my job, uh, if you've ever seen Parks and Rec. And I definitely think I am, but I do have my like, I'm, I emote a lot. So it, I, I try to be empathetic and positive, but I definitely have my, my down days and just kind of reminding yourself like when those happen, whatever that emotion is, feel it, you know, own it, live it, let it out. 
because um, otherwise I feel like it can it can bottle up, which like we already do that with our pain, you know, like when we go to the doctor, like we're sometimes we're in it, we're already in a stage five pain that we've been in. Um, and we're in like, we're that all the time. So um, just trying to, I think the other it's like soak up the little things is the the big thing I've brought to, to my day, you know, trying to bring positive moments, um, trying to find positive moments, you know, in the small things uh, when you can't always do the big things. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I totally mm-hmm. agree with that. I feel like that's something that, uh, before, you know, Indo was so much a part of my life, it was like, it, like you said, it was like, you live for, I don't know, like, like these bigger moments or big adventures or, you know, things like that. And now I'm like, you know, these very little things, like the bird that comes to my window in the morning is like mm-hmm. special. And I love that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think like, and again, maybe some of that's just like getting older and observing things in a different way. But I think that's what I try to remind everybody of, like in my family, like if you're like bummed, you can't go, you know, friends are out or doing something and maybe you just can't go because you're not feeling well. Like, hey, there's going to be another opportunity. And also like, let's think about the positive things that have happened. Um, Or, you know, if you need to wallow in self-pity, that's, that's totally fine too. I do that as well. Like, again, just kind of feeling your emotions as they come to you. Um. I think, and one thing I, I didn't mention that I'm also a big advocate for um, is doing like medicine wise, like taking what you need to take for you. I know like, you know, obviously birth control doesn't cure our disease, but I had found it very helpful um, over the years. But the other big thing for me is I have always advocated because of this doctor I had gone to that having my hormones tested, like doctors who refuse to test my hormones, I would just say, fine, then I'm leaving. Um, so that you can find out what the right medicine for you is. I think that's such a, that's the one piece I find often that's missing. Like in every other, it, you know, thing you have, a, you have a lab run and you look at those tests and you say, okay, this is where, you know, your blood sugar is. So you need to take this drug. But for, for birth control, it's like, oh, here, I'm just going to toss this at you and let you experiment with that. That might mess up your life for three months without testing. So that's a big component of, of kind of where I'm at now. I've had my hormones tested recently. I don't need to be on birth control pills, which is new to me um, based on where my hormone levels are. But I did find out that I do have insulin resistance, which can often come along with endometriosis or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I, do, I don't have PCOS, but um, it can come with either. So I've been taking medicine for that. And I've seen such a huge difference in my energy level. Uh, really helpful. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, and just like things like that. So I think the other, the other thing that I've tried to put into this is just like, if you have these issues, making sure you get a holistic picture of your health, you know, like getting your annual checkups and running those labs. Um, so you can always figure out, you know, if there's anything else going behind the scenes, cause endo's tricky. I know like there's so many things that I've researched that could be like, this can be tied to it. That can be tied to it. And sometimes just a small change of like, Hey, changing around maybe, you know, just a little bit of your diet. And then here's this pill that you need and you'd be feeling like a whole new person. And um, I'm just starting that journey now. We'll see, you know, I'm only in week two, I think. Um, So we'll see how it goes. Um, But I'm, you know, grateful that I was able to find somebody who was willing to to test all of that and look through it and say, okay, like this is where things are and this is how we can move forward. Yeah, that's such a good point, too, about how you get tested for everything, but, you know, like bef- to get a baseline, but not with hormonal birth control. Like, yeah, that's such a good point. I've only ever had my hormones tested once, and yeah. it was related to, like, fertility stuff, not even, like, you know, oh, 
maybe like to see what I need, you know what I'm trying to say? Or even like related to endo, which I know like endo itself isn't a hormonal disease, but there are things that affect it and how, like, like you said, just the holistic view of it, because obviously our bodies are all connected and it's not like the endometriosis doesn't affect the way that our other systems and organs run. Yeah. And I think that's kind of been another like beef I've had with the medical communities, like even at 16, when it was like a possibility of losing an ovary, and I'm glad that they were able to save it. But to me, it was like, if this is cancer, and the ovary has to go, like, I want to live, like, I, I don't, I, I think that oftentimes they kind of put in there, like, it, and it, you were seeing this kind of play out all around the US of, like, it's your, it's, it's your, your uterus first, and you second, like, you being able to have kids first, you as a person second, a lot of the time. And again, I'm not, that should always, you know, what, what you want for you and for your future should always come into that play. Um, But I think that then also they need to make sure that they respect what your decision is. So if it is like, Hey, this ovary has to go so that I'm going to be okay, then that has to happen. Um, If it doesn't fantastic. Um, But that's, I think a lot of people have approached endometriosis in that way of like, well, I, you know, I've been told by one doctor, well, if you just had a baby, it would be better Um, as I'm jobless, single, and, you know, in your office crying, this is your advice to me. Like, are you kidding? Um, And then I think they're also very like, you know, dismissive. I know you've talked about this of of people who maybe you, you know, you can't have kids and you're having infertility issues. They they don't go about either side of things, I think very well, Um, which is some, which is sad to see. Um, cause you know, it's already a, a struggle on it's enough on its own. Um, and then having to think about what that's like for you, you know, depending on what age this all starts, um, is a lot to take on. Yeah. A thousand percent. Absolutely. That like the quality of your life is less important than your ability to bring children into the world. It totally feels like that. I, I've been flat out told like by male physic, male doctors, like I won't perform a hysterectomy on you. You're too young. Like, like you said, well, mm-hmm. I'm crying, jobless, can't work. I'm telling you, like, you know, I'm at one of the darkest places in my life. And you're like, no, you, you need a baby. That's a great idea. Let's put, like, the hardest thing in the world to do on top of all of this. Right. And again, I completely understand, like, giving people, like, letting them know what the risks are, making sure they really understand their decision. Um, and everybody, you know, everybody's treatment plan should be different based off of what they what their needs are, what they, you know, want. Um, and, and hopefully we, I think, I think that I found with like, when you can find the right excision surgeons, they, they know all that. They take that into account. But our biggest gap right now is getting people to those doctors, whether it be that some that are fantastic, but don't take insurance or that, you know, like my person's here in Chicago, he's amazing, but can you afford to travel to him? You know, um, Uh, And trying to make sure that people get the same, I think like, you know, they've mentioned like endometriosis can be as painful as a heart attack and and how many of us, you know, there's millions of people who have it. Um, So, you know, they do a lot of great things for like, you know, Ronald McDonald house where people can stay when their families are having treatment. Like I think that this disease and others should fall into that category too. um, So that you can get, you know, get the right help treatment that you need, find the surgeons that you need. Um, cause oftentimes you're going to find them, you know, in the bigger cities and you, that may not be where you live. Um, so I think that's, I think that's something that my company currently does, um, which can be a little bit, you know, nerve wracking to travel to a, a whole new city and get a new doctor. And you're, you're not quite sure how that's going to go. Um, 
but I would love to see that get expanded into this realm too. So we can help more people, you know, get, get the diagnosis a, and then get the surgery that they need until, you know, till the future when hopefully there's a cure of some kind. Yes. Oh my gosh. That would be so incredible to have like Ronald McDonald style houses. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Cause I don't think, I don't, I don't think that there has been a person on the podcast yet that hasn't traveled that hasn't had to travel for their excision surgery. Like for me, I had to go to the next state. I live in Florida and I went mm-hmm. to Georgia for, and I went to the center for endometriosis care in Atlanta. So that was um, like a nine hour drive. You know, we had to get an Airbnb. Like, yeah, there was so much that went into it. It's so expensive. And like you said, it's, it's just not accessible. It's not attainable. It's, it's, and then the gap between the gynecologist and the actual experts is like insane. It's like, hello, gynecologist. Do you even know that they exist? <laughs> like- right. And then I've been like, I saw, I think it was on a TikTok recently that one of my nursing friends sent me where they were saying that they no longer do pap smears for kids. They do, or like, you have to be 21. Well, and I'm just like, oh. how is that reasonable? Like, I had my first one at 16. And again, like, I was having issues. So that's why I went. But like, I just think they keep pushing back like the level, the, the, the age for care. Like it used to be okay at 35, you get a mammogram. Now it's, oh, it's at 40. And I'm like, well, it's like that, that I just feel like the, the, the wellness and the intervention the, you know, that you could, you could get, they just keep pushing it back. Um, and it's like, you know, cause they make money off of us being sick, unfortunately. So those right. kinds of things, like, again, having people advocate for themselves when you go in, like if you, even if everything's completely normal, like go in, get, find a gynecologist and, you know, l- learn what you can learn so that you know what to look for. Um, you know, as, as life goes on, I think we just, we don't get a lot of education around, you know, good education, I should say around that. There's so many things that we've hey, figured out from friends or the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, you should have learned this in a, in a class, I suppose, but, you know, and all of the above learn from all around, but just things I wish that we would have been told, um, you know, would have been nice. Yeah, absolutely. God, that's, that's terrifying. I think 21, I mean, especially like, I think statistically, like that's, that's just way past time, you know, for right. the age of like becoming sexually active, people having periods. So yeah, I mean, like, wow, that's insane. And then, yeah. when, especially then when you know about endometriosis and know how long it takes to get diagnosed, like if people aren't even getting, and not that not that paps show anything for endo, but we're just talking about being in the office and having these kinds of conversations because, you know, that's usually where everyone starts with this disease, unfortunately, because it's not considered its own specialty yet. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So that, yeah, like you said, that's, that's honestly terrifying. Wow. Yeah. And it's something that I wish, like you wish that gynecologists knew more about and then like PC, you know, regular doctors, primary care doctors knew more about too. So that when you do go in for like those, you know, annual visits, it could be like, Hey, these are some things, you know, that, that could happen that maybe you don't have, but like, here's how to identify the signs. And again, I know you can, everybody can Google these things now, which is really helpful. Um, but that can always you know, also send you down crazy rabbit holes, um, but just educating people so that they know, like, if I do start to have these symptoms, maybe this is what it could be. Um, so then you're not lost in the dark of where do I go? Who do I see? You know, now what? Cause I think, especially when the pain, you know, starts and you're feeling terrible, it's really hard to do, to find doctors and to drag yourself to those appointments and, you know, power through all of the testing and everything that needs to be done. So 
yeah, I think anywhere that we can help people with the, with the resources like your, your podcast and your awesome website is, is amazing. Um, and, and getting out, like you said, like the right definitions of things and, and who it affects and, you know, what are the right doctors to see? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that. I so appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think you hit on some really awesome points. Um, especially like as we're approaching awareness a month, uh, next month, you know, kicks off yeah. endometriosis awareness month. And I think, I just feel like these kind of conversations are so important, not only for warriors, but for people that don't have endometriosis and think like, well, this doesn't affect me. It does for one thing, because it affects our society greatly as a whole. Um, and then two, because there's, you talked and touched on so many things of like what others can do to help us and how we can, the conversations that we need to be having both in like a professional workspace and in the medical industry. Like I know that we have some medical professionals that listen to the podcast. And so I just think it's awesome. The points that you brought up, because those are the things that are going to move this awareness into like tangible things that we can actually do to improve the care that people are getting in our country. Yes. No, I definitely agree. And I think I come from it from like, it's always coming from an HR standpoint, just because that's the nature of my, my life, (laughs) my job. Um, But, you know, trying to talk through with people, like if they come to me, like, how can I talk to my company? How can I advocate for myself? And again, even with your, with doctor, just from my own experience, um, to just, yeah, help people get the care that they need. Uh, I think, you know, we should all want a happier, healthier society. And I think, unfortunately, that our medical system has just become this like barrier to get to it. I wish it wasn't that way. And I, you know, there, don't get me wrong, there are amazing doctors, nurses, techs, all those kinds of people, they're out there. Um, it's just, you know, sometimes they can be hard to find when you're, you know, trying to figure this disease out. So I do want to give a shout out to the good ones um, who've who've helped me along the way um, and, you know, trying to remind people that it, it, it will get better, um, you know, and having this great community to talk to um, is, is such a help. Yes. Yes. And sh- yeah, I totally agree. Shout out to all the good ones out there. Yeah. You guys are lifesavers. Like literally, thank you. <laughs> yes. I know. Yeah. It can seem few and far between when you're in the depths of it and find, you know, not having a good experience. Um, and then I think the other thing to remind people of is um, again, you can come at it with empathetic view. You don't have to be, you know, rude, but when you do have a bad experience, let people know. Like I once um, I even talked about this at my company because we, we have patient care center where patients call in and people have to, you know, people are handling those patients. Um, And for our employees, we do provide like an outside therapist and coach because some of those conversations can be hard. Like if you're dealing with an oncology patient, that's really tough, you know, for you on the other end um, to handle. But um, you know, if, I experienced where I had somebody, you know, trying to schedule an appointment for me. And then when she went to hang up, I heard her call me a bitch and then hang up the phone. She didn't think I heard her, but I did. And I was just like, that's not okay. So I called back. I let the doctor know. And I said, you know, I'll, I'll keep coming here because the doctor's so amazing. I was like, but your staff, like you need to talk to them because if this was me, maybe 10 years ago, I might not come back. And then I might miss out on the great care that I would have had otherwise because a member of your staff was rude. And again, they could have just been having a bad day. I don't know what, you know, what's going on in your life. 
Um, but I don't know also if this has happened to other people. So I think also reminding people that they can like, leave reviews where you can, you know, let people know again, good positive or negative experiences. Um, cause that's one of the ways I found my excision surgeon, uh, Dr. Sasha was, I'd never seen somebody with so many positive reviews. It was insane. And they were reviews, not just from patients, but from patients, family members, like thanking him for giving me my wife back for giving me my daughter back, you know, all of these types of reviews. Um, so that was a big helper for me to be able to like say okay I feel comfortable going to see this person um so I try to do that now too where I can I'll leave you know negative or positive reviews so that people can understand you know what my experiences was like um so anywhere that you can share that information I always encourage people to do that too yeah that's a really really great point that's such a good way um to like advocate for others in our community. Like you said, I mean, everyone, I don't make a single appointment without checking their reviews first. So like that's, yeah, yeah, I really, really like that point. You know, we're all searching and we're, you know, in there trying to dig up like what is our experience going to be like? What is their education and their background? Like what are their bedside manners like? And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, especially for something like endometriosis, it would be hugely helpful to have into warriors leave their reviews like you said good and bad oh yeah doctors yeah that's a, that's such a good point thank you again for that one definitely yeah and it was super helpful because like uh, and it's, I kind of laugh about it but Dr. Sashua like it's not a bad bedside manner but it's a very like curt bedside manner like a very like practical um so I knew that going in that he wasn't going to be like this probably, you know, like not, he's not gonna sit down and have a long conversation with me. It's gonna be like, okay, how are you feeling? What do you want to do? You know, like a bounce back and forth type session. Um, and knowing that going in, I feel like helped me really prepare for that. And I can then tell other people, you know, about him too and say like, Hey, like when you go in, this is what you can expect from him. Um, and it's, it's not a bad thing, you know, it's just, this is his personality. Um, so then people know, you know, what that's going to be like and how to prepare. Right. That would be so helpful, especially because so many of us have, you know, medical trauma, from all of this and, and going to a doctor is already so anxiety indu- inducing. So being able to know what to expect as much as you can would be so helpful. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I'm always trying to think of the small things, you know, that I can do now, you know, when I'm in this kind of like, I don't, I shouldn't say like, it's not post endometriosis because obviously it'll never go away. But when I'm in like one of, if I'm in a good spot, um, you know, what can I do to help uh, and then I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm getting a tattoo. That is the phrase that I, I always come back to of this too shall pass. Um, my grandma used to say it all the time and I view it as a way of like remembering, you know, that the, the good times are here, but you know, to cherish those cause they'll pass. And then the bad times, you know, they're, they will go away. Um, so that's kind of my, my mantra when it comes to this. I love that. It's so true. It's, I love that. Cause that's, you know, a nice way to say it. It's, it's pretty, it's wordsy. It feels good. Cause I like lately, I've just been telling myself like, this is temporary. Everything is temporary. You know, yeah. it's the last forever. So I like that this too shall pass. I, uh, mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah. And I, always- I yeah. think you have given us so many good tips and just things on how to advocate for yourself. And, and like I said, again, on things of like, what can actually help our community as a whole move forward. Thank you. Yeah, that's my goal. And um, if anyone reaches out after this is posted and wants to talk to me about work, you know, if anything falls into my category of expertise work-wise, I'm always open to share my information and have that conversation. 
Thank you for that. That is so, so amazing. Um, would you like to, do you want to share your Instagram in the show notes or would you like to share a different way to contact you if that is something that somebody listening would like to do? Uh, yeah, Instagram's great. I would, I would say email, but I'm terrible at checking my personal email. I'm not going to lie. Um, so yeah, you could definitely put my Instagram in there. Uh, okay. It's public, so anybody can message me. Awesome. Awesome. I will definitely do that then. Um, is there anything that you would like to say as we start to wrap this up? Like any one last tidbit or something that you would like, you know, somebody listening to take from this episode? I feel like you've already given so many good things though. <laughs> I think, um, I think my biggest takeaway is like I said, there's the, there's the before you and there's the after you, and that doesn't have to be, um, a bad thing. So, um, it's, it's thinking through, you know, how can you enjoy, you know, the life that you have with, with this chronic illness and, and try to make, you know, the most of it, um, uh, so that you can, you know, live, live to the life to the fullest that you can, um, and then just, yeah, I think kind of my other main point of just, you know, learning how to advocate for yourself. Again, easier said than done takes time. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing that you can do in, in this journey um, is, is advocate for yourself and then surround yourself with, with the people that, you know, best support you, that understand what this is like. And if there are those that are around that don't, don't serve you, then, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a, a bad thing or a negative thing or a full blowout, but just, you know, you don't have to, to hang out with those people. Um, yeah, those are kind of my big, my big takeaways, but also just big thank you to you for doing this um, and for giving us a place to. Are you still there? I think I might've lost you. Oh, no. Thank you for tuning in to the Best Worst Club podcast. If you could do us the biggest favor and help us reach more endo warriors, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening. And take a selfie of you listening or a screenshot and share it on Instagram. I hope you'll join us next week, endo warrior.